people's stories and their books. With me, Nancy Richards. In my view, there's no limit to questions around books, nor no limit to their range. As was proven at UCT, at University of Cape Town's summer school recently, where academic, author and editors both, Dr Helen Moffat and Bongani Corner, gave a series of three lectures on why, how and what we read under the banner Books as Magic Carpets. Well, between them, they provided much fuel for thought and self-questioning. But I managed to briefly catch the two of them between lectures and photo shoots to echo some of their own questions, like what is it that makes a person pick up or purchase a book, starting with Helen Moffat. I suppose all of the things that I mentioned in my lecture, the look of it, the blurb, um, whether or not it's been recommended to me by somebody else and therefore I've gone looking for it in the first place, which I suppose is cheating. In other words, somebody's laid a trail of breadcrumbs. But sometimes it will just catch my eye, and that's why titles of blurbs, book cover design, um, the look and the feel of a book is so important. So it's a big question to say, you know, what about a book attracts you? But I suppose an even bigger question, Bongani, is why do you read? Why do you read? Wow, that is a very <laughs> complex question. But I also wanted, one second, I come back to the... I wanted to ask Helen, like, are you, have you ever been driven to buy a book by reviews? Uh, because that, for me, is, is a big part of which books I get to read and which ones I, I don't. If, um, like, for instance, the few reviewers who I look up to and review essays, uh, and I end up being the kind of person that reads the reviews more than the books. But, yeah, I just wanted to know from your side. And then I'll come back to your question about why I read, I guess, I don't know, I guess it's a better quality of loneliness, I think. That's that's right, quite an emotional phrase. But I suppose one of the things about reading is that it's why do you read, it's when did you start to read, because that would have been the foundation of your whole reading career. Were you encouraged to read? Where did reading start for you? Uh, I think mostly uh, sort of when I was in primary school, um, I think a lot of uh, John Grisham stuff, because my sister was a great deal older than me. She's 16 years older than me. That's the thing that I remember. Of course, there's the set works from school, but outside of that, I think that's the first thing I started kind of reading, because I loved uh, police procedurals, and uh, they still make me feel yeah, comforted. And yourself, Helen? I was very, very lucky. I grew up on a small Karoo farm, and my mother had three small children under the age of four. We all ask her now, what was she thinking? And literally, I think, to keep me occupied, I was taught to read when I was about three and a half because my parents discovered that they could give me a book, and that was it. I had a babysitter until that book was finished, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next. So I was reading adult books by the age of six, which gave my parents a different set of heart attacks. They they, they were very worried when I started struggling through D.H. Lawrence when I was about eight. So I just started very early. As I said, my my mother was a librarian. Her training was a librarian, and books were considered this... If there was a secular God in our house, it was the written word. So we were taught to revere books. We were taught to interact with them. I was allowed to sleep with them in my bed. I was allowed to illustrate them. How my parents restrained themselves. When I see the damage that I did to some of my 
early books with pencil crowns and those sorts of things. But they said they were terrified of putting me off books if they ever gave me do's and don'ts. So, so I was lucky. Can I go back to Bongani's question about whether reviews influence my reading? Oh, yes. It depends on who the reviewer is, which makes it a rather closed circle of a snail eating its take. I mean, a, a, a snake eating its tail. That was an interesting a slip of the tongue. But because you've got to read numerous reviews by people, and you've got to start seeing the same names over and over and over again in order to be able to trust their judgment. But I let people, reviewers I know and like, and platforms I know and like, do an enormous amount of pre-sorting and pre sifting for me and then I will go and track down a book and I mean that's why I mentioned the Good Book Appreciation Society Facebook page is that I have learnt that there are readers on that page some of them I've never met, I've never known but I can tell from their reviews that we share the same sorts of visceral responses to books and therefore if they recommend something then I know that it's fine, it's good that I, that I will be driven to that book that way so Long live reviewers and book reviews. Well, indeed. And I suppose one of the things is that, you know, you might be guided towards a book by a review, but you might be guided towards a book simply because it's the sort of book you've always liked. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that you referred to. But what you did at the beginning of this lecture was you talked about chance encounters. That wasn't exactly the phrase that you used. But you talked about people having other encounters other than, but I've always read this kind of book. This is the sort of book I like. What did you have in mind there? Uh, I was thinking about some books that maybe that I've picked up from the library or there's a writer, a Chilean writer by the name of Alejandro Zambra and I remember many years ago by complete chance I read a short story of his as the book lounge, I was just waiting and I was just so captivated by the story, it's called Long Distance and then I found out that he had a very small novella called Bonsai which I found in the, in the library so sort of those kinds of chance I would not have found him any other way uh, at the time. So that's what I meant by sort of those kinds of chance encounters, just moving out. And his work is translated from Spanish into English. And yeah, those those books you, I think in places that I read reviews from, they rarely get mentioned. So that's what I meant by yeah. chance encounter. But just on the subject of reviews, I like what you said about the Good Book Appreciation Society. I was thinking, and there's another friend who we both know, but I know her taste is so essential so when she loves it, I'm not sure I would love it. So, but I know like it's a very good book, but maybe it's not for you. Not all books are for you as well. So, you said something very interesting yesterday, Helen, to the effect of all reading is autobiographical, which made me sort of think, oh dear, do we all read the sort of books that, that affirm what we already believe, or to explain what you meant by that? I think it's what you learn about yourself. Uh, there was a woman who came up to me right now at the end of Bongani's lecture, and she said that she started listing. She, she, she started going back and listing the books she'd read over years, and she said that she started remembering the people she knew at the time, that she re started remembering the people who had recommended those books or the people who had given those books. So it's tapestry of our past, but also it's, you learn about yourself. You learn about your 
deep pools of ignorance into which you fall. And I don't mean ignorance um, in a judgmental way. It's sort of, as you said, Bongani, you did not know about the Chilean writer. How would you ever have known? It's not somebody that's going to be covered by your syllabus or even by your university reading courses, etc. Um, it's hardly going to be covered by something like the Johannesburg Review of Books or even the New York uh, Book Review. And you fall into these huge dark pools you go into these treasure caves and you learn about yourself you learn about what you don't know you learn about your prior assumptions you learn about how narrow your position on a certain topic can be and it sometimes does and it sometimes doesn't work I recently sort of like was gobbling through one of Jody Pico's what I think of as social issue novels and this was about adoption rights in same-sex couples in North America. And I remember getting a third of the way and thinking, I know that she's going to present the so-called both sides questions because what happens is a fundamentalist evangelical team take this couple, this pair of women who have married each other and want to um, adopt children to court. And I thought, no, I don't actually need to hear the other side of that argument. This is not a deep pool of ignorance on my part. But for someone in their early 20s who maybe belongs to, comes from a traditional or conservative family or belongs to a conservative church, that book might be life-changing. And that's, I think that I mean that by autobiographical, that the words weave in and out of us. They're not static on the page. I suppose that goes back to why do we read? And I suppose we do read because there's a sort of didactic element. We're going to learn something new. We're also going to be blown away by the quality of it. And I asked you, well, you're both editors, but Bongani, I was asking you, when you're reading a book, are you judging the quality of the writing of what, or are you simply absorbing the tale that's being told? And you had an interesting response that you can, you can sense when a writer is trying too hard. Can you explain that again? I think maybe the best kind of analogy is walking into a party or something and and how do you react when the other people are looking at you and like and I think the best thing to do is always in any kind of situation is we want to see who you are really just to be completely like I don't know how to answer this thing um sorry I think what I'm trying to get to is like the thing that I'm always drawn to is the honesty and the sincerity. But it's so hard because we're also, I think most of these questions aren't really just about what's on the page. I think there's some of us who are taught that maybe sometimes you're not worth enough or you, there's this part of you that you can't really show yourself who you really are because you're this or you're that. And you become scared to actually to fully express all sides of yourself. Uh, this, I don't know if this doesn't make, this makes sense at all, but I'm always just like, what are those barriers that are preventing you from just coming out as who you are and this is what you would like to present? Not to say that the writing is autobiographical or it's, it's nonfiction or it's a memoir, but always just to, it takes a lot of daring to come out like that. And my word, I've twisted <laughs> myself into knots. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to help you more, at least I'm going to go back to something else that you said. You were talking about encountering a chap that you always had very cursory conversations with, and then you got to know him better through another chance encounter. And reading a person is a bit like reading a book. That was, a, that was what I was thinking. Yeah, no. Uh, oh, and what was the original question? <laughs> 
I suppose the original. There are so many questions because there are so many questions in a book. But I just want to come back to the thing about owning books, having books. And I think that recently you had to move house and you had to decide, am I going to give books away? Am I going to keep books? Are you a, a bookkeeper? Are you a sort of, I have to keep this book sort of a chap? Sometimes I've regretted it tremendously. Really. But I think, and Helen, I'm sure, will share, say the same thing about like secondhand bookshops sold like really good books for 30 rand, 20 rand. And it's important. That economy is really important. And I love that idea that your barrier of entry, I need to give it to somebody else like because of, I, I can't own it. It's, it's best to give it, not all the time, I think. But I love that idea that it's, we give away the thing that we value the most. Yeah. Sorry, I have to... I know you have to go, so Rangani, I'm going to let you go, but it was lovely. Thank you so much. And very best of luck. See you tomorrow. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And lovely to finally meet you. Yes, absolutely. And I really valued your conversation, so thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Helen, I'm going to have the last word from you. If there were one book that you had to have, that you would give away everything else, but there'd be one that you wouldn't let, let go, what would it be? This is the, probably the world's most difficult question. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, that's a very, very tough one. I suppose it's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I have to say that, don't I? The curative power of reading Jane Austen. Yep. They, they, there is now a book with that title. Somebody's bringing it out to me from London tomorrow. If they weren't, you would be writing it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much.